Hi, and welcome to the AI Experience. I'm Jeff Johnson. And I'm Lloyd Danzig. And in this podcast, we explore the topics and trends that are shaping the creation and dispersion of artificial intelligence around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode. Today, Lloyd and I discuss facial recognition, a topic that is really hot in the political sphere right now. Uh, And that's really where we start. We talk about uh, politicians' viewpoints, the general law landscape. Then we get into some of the details of how that technology is being used today. We discuss the benefits and the drawbacks, specifically a surveillance state versus all of the amazing things that can come out of really great facial recognition. And finally, we highlight what the future state of privacy really should look like and talk about our predictions for the future. We hope you enjoy it. Okay. Hey, Lloyd. You know, today I was hoping that we could dive into a topic that's been in the news a lot recently, uh, facial recognition. And of course, as as anyone who's probably reading the news knows, Bernie Sanders uh, recently came out staunchly opposed to the idea of facial recognition technology being used. Um, There's a lot of things that have been cited as potential issues around facial recognition. Um, And there was a pretty big article written by the New York Times uh, about one specific company called Clearview AI that's being used by several law enforcement agencies in the U.S., And it's pretty fascinating digging into the details of where this company came from uh, and what they're doing today. And I think this is a perfect topic to discuss the ethics of AI, because really this is information um, that's being mined that's public. Uh, And it it raises a lot of questions about how these types of technologies should be regulated. Um, But Lloyd, it'd be great for you to give an overview of kind of what these technologies really mean, uh, how they're being utilized today, and, and then we can talk about some of the other more nitty-gritty ethical details. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad that, that you sort of teed it up for me like that, because I think, as is the case with many technologies, particularly AI, a lack of understanding is often the motivating factor behind unfounded or unjustified or mischaracterized fears, and when people aren't aligned as to what the issue is, trying to solve the problem is that much harder. So facial recognition is, is sort of a subdivision of computer vision, uh, the, the process and mechanisms by which machines interpret visual images, videos, and the like. And as is the case with any other classification system that figures out which pictures are dogs and which pictures are cats, if you, for example, have set up Face ID on your iPhone, and you've spent like 30 seconds, like basically like taking a selfie and kind of rotating your head in 360 degrees. What it's doing is it's taking a ton of pictures and images of your face and looking at the contours and figuring out using usually deep neural networks, what are the specific factors that define your face? And I think, you know, if you've used Face ID on the iPhone, for example, you'll see that you can put sunglasses on or put a hat on or put makeup on, uh, or do a number of things that, uh, to a human, might cause it to be difficult to identify you, but even the very basic facial recognition on your iPhone is capable of doing that. So, so at a base level, that's what it is. It's finding pixel patterns and contour patterns in your face that allow for recognition uh, to a degree of accuracy and precision that it is not possible that you are someone else. 
Now, there are tons of really great applications of facial recognition, and there are tons of nefarious ones, and then there are sort of these double-sided ones. You know, nefarious type of uh, facial recognition application would, of course, be uh, targeting innocent civilians that a dictator wants to remove from a population uh, using drone strikes. Uh, a good application would be, you know, using facial recognition in a hospital to keep track of all the patients and know where they are at all times and then link that with their vital signs. Uh, but where you're talking about Clearview AI and, and uh, what's going on with Amazon and Ring and uh, all, all these other things, a lot what the Chinese government is doing, are situations where there's a legitimate use case. For example, if you leave out of Logan Airport in Boston uh, out of certain terminals right now, you'll find you're not asked for your driver's license or passport and sometimes even your boarding pass because there's a facial recognition scanner that identifies who you are, checks if you have a ticket, and lets you on the plane. The problem is, as one person raised on Twitter, you can find the conversation, uh, you should wonder, if you ever go through something like that, how did they get my face? How, 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 what are they cross-referencing the picture that <laughs> right, they're taking exactly. of me with? And what you'll realize, and what was the case in, 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 that this person raised when, at Logan Airport, is they, uh, I guess the TSA or, or the airlines, have some deal with, I think, the Department of Homeland Security, which fetches from your driver's license. Uh, and instantly, that should make you realize that the information that you consider private and personal to you uh, may be shared and, uh, and sort of used in, in ways behind the scenes that you're not terribly aware of. And even this, a lot of people have the inclination of saying, so what? What is the big deal? Well, there, there are a number of issues. One is that things like fingerprints, facial contours, uh, any of your biometric uh, validating indicators, once you lose those, once those are leaked, once someone finds those or is able to recreate them, you can't really get that back. Uh, you can't change your fingerprints uh, with some caveats in terms of facial, you know, of, of facial reconstructive surgery. You can't really change the contours of your face. Uh, you can't change your DNA and things like that. And so it's very scary uh, forgetting about the applications. If facial recognition is being used, that means information about your face is existing in the cloud and in people's hard drives and is being transported all over you know, the internet. And the breach uh, of uh, biometric data is something I think people should be very concerned about. Uh, but, but more than that, I think one of the real concerns uh, is AI being used uh, in various law enforcement uh, capacities, particularly where, like what Clearview AI does is they allow law enforcement to upload a photo of an unidentified person, and then they kind of cross-reference those with other people in various databases, and they can use those to, uh, you know, hone in on a suspect. And the problem with this, and this is where the more insidious aspect of biased training data comes in, is if a police department trains a, an image classifier, a facial recognition image classifier, on, let's say, all white males, and then tries to apply it to an African-American female unidentified suspect, there is a massive likelihood and, and possibility for error. And if the people who are using this system don't know anything about machine learning and biased training data, they might be susceptible to acting 
in a punitive way, as law enforcement can sometimes do, against a person who is very wrongly being classified or targeted using this facial recognition system. So one thing underlying this that we mentioned is, is the fact that your biometric data is being passed around so freely. But the other thing is that people ascribe and assume a certain level of accuracy and infallibility to these systems that in fact is nowhere near being true. And it is very scary when you have uh, people and organizations in positions of authority using powerful technologies that they themselves don't understand and might think to be infallible when in fact they are not. Hmm. That's, that's really fascinating. You, you said a bunch of things there that I think are worth unpacking. And, and let's start first with the last thing you mentioned, the training, the infallibility, p- the potential lack of knowledge. So again, just to, to keep going on this Clearview uh, concept, they are using, apparently, uh, images that they have scraped from Facebook, from Twitter, from Instagram, from Venmo, uh, from YouTube. And uh, that is how they're populating this data set. There was a, a, a graph that they used to sell to these law enforcement agencies that I think the FBI has at most uh, about 340 million images, face, face images in their data set. Uh, and they have 3 billion oh, in clear view. So, you know, we're talking orders of magnitude differences. And obviously, th- there's a couple things that, that kind of come in here. So one is, is that legal for them to even take that image data. And a lot of these companies, whether it's Facebook or Google or, or Venmo, are saying, no, that, that actually is against our privacy policy. Uh, you can't just scrape our images. But of course, they don't seem to be stopping it. And now that Clearview has this data set, it becomes a little murky how, how they would potentially be forced to destroy that. But that aside, talk a little bit more, Lloyd. And, and this is where, frankly, I, I'm a little conflicted. What is the danger of biased training in this type of situation? I, I realize there's lots of different situations, but in this specific kind of we're we're trying to find a criminal. We have a, a really bad recording from someone's phone or some uh, small surveillance camera that was installed on site where the the um, you know whatever type of situation occurred that the law enforcement agency is dealing with, and they use Clearview AI to try and match that face with other people to then create suspects. What is the danger of, of bias training there, and what is the actual potential negative outcome um, if you are, I guess, incorrectly uh, assessed as a potential match for this perpetrator of a crime? Yeah, so, so I think, first of all, let, let's quickly define what we mean by bias training data uh, in this context and sort of in general. And what we mean is because you know certain data sets could be biased for use in certain purposes and use cases and not biased in others. So what we're talking about here with bias in, in training data is when the population from whom your training data set was collected or collected on is not representative of the population to which it's being applied. So if you're using facial recognition in a town that is only populated by white males and you trained your facial recognition set on only white males, that is possibly not so much of a problem. The problem comes when you only trained it on white males and it identifies you know, what it thinks is uh, an eye and an ear and a nose and what is indicative. Uh, and and you know, a good example, I think I saw this in a, uh, in a short clip from a, a Vox documentary. Imagine you were training a person or an image classifier to know what a party is. 
and every picture you show them is either of a party or not of a party, and you and you label those those uh, images, and you show a picture of three guys together, uh, you know, at a bar, and you say this is a party, and then you show a baseball game, and you say that's not a party. Well, let's say that all the pictures you showed that were labeled party have men in it and not a women, not women. Well. When the algorithm figures out what features are indicative of this thing that, you know, my overlord is telling me is a party, and it later sees a picture with three women in it, it's going to assume that that must not be a party. So similarly here, we can think of, you know, if everyone has blonde hair and blue eyes and a suspect, especially one in grainy, you know, surveillance footage, which, by the way, I never, I never understood how it seems that technology has improved vastly in all these areas and somehow, like, bank footage on surveillance cameras is always so grainy and black and white. It, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, but, but, but anyway, so generally the main risk here is this idea that uh, a person could be wrongly identified. And especially since the people who are tending to be incorrectly identified are people in protected classes who already have historically had issues with police brutality and wrongful accusations and the like, uh, they are especially sensitive and there certainly have been cases, uh, you know, where police have treated people uh, very poorly who ended up being innocent and that just generally if you're a minority and you're someone in a protected class, you do not feel comfortable with the police, the militarized police as you see them, having any extra possible reason for putting you in their crosshairs. Now, to step back for a second, because it's, it's, it's a really fascinating issue, um, so Facebook is in an interesting position. They recently paid uh, a little over half a billion dollars to settle a facial recognition suit because one of the complicating things about Facebook, and this is the case with many technologies, is let's say you, Jeff, decided you didn't want to be on Facebook. You, you wanted to just you know, rid the digital ether of your footprint. And so you deleted Facebook. And, and perhaps you did this preemptively. Maybe you never even made a Facebook. We'll go back in time. Well, if I post a picture and I put a little square around your face and I say, this is Jeff Johnson, and then one of my friends posts a picture and you're in the background, Facebook, without your consent, especially if you don't even have an account, how would they get your consent, will say to that person, would you like to chat, uh, tag Jeff Johnson in this picture? So very quickly... Even without your consent, without your having a Facebook account, or without you knowing that your pictures are on Facebook, people can have, you know, time-stamped photo posts that have EXIF data and metadata that can often show, you know, geolocations, and people can create a, a pretty compelling tracking of what your life is. Now, that's not specific to Facebook and facial recognition. The same can be said for Gmail. Some people don't use Gmail because they don't want Google reading their emails and targeting them with ads based on it. But if I use Gmail and you don't, and I email you, well, now Gmail has a profile of what your name is or what your IP address is or where your emails are routed, and, and it knows your name and it knows what you're talking about. And it can sort of back into who you are and what you're doing from all the other Gmail users with whom you're interacting. And, you know, what's what's I think people have to remember is there have been many cases where humans are just bad at interpreting the results that machines give them. And there's a great example of uh, Barack Obama uh, when president was giving a speech, I, I want to say in Illinois somewhere, but I don't recall, and some like seven-year-old kid tweeted out, 
hey, uh, Mr. President, there's a lot of protesters here. You better watch out. And a computer, like an FBI, Secret Service, CIA computer program, uh, I don't know if it was machine learning based or not at the time, identified the you better watch out as a threat. And like the, the Secret Service came and detained this kid without his parents at his elementary school for 36 hours or something crazy like that because once the process is set in motion where your social security number is linked as a terrorist threat, it is not so easy to wave a magic wand as much as you might say, obviously, I am not a terrorist threat. Well, good luck saying that, you know, from your cell in Guantanamo Bay with no lawyer and no trial. Uh, and so I think some of the danger is, A, that your consent is not even needed, your knowledge is not even needed to be in these databases where facial recognition is used to pinpoint your location and behavior and activities, and then B, that even the most wholesome person who is never doing anything nefarious can either be painted as such in a deliberate way or accidentally so, and sometimes it's uh, not revealed how innocent you are until some damage, perhaps irreversible, has been done. Right. Yeah, th that's a good point. Uh, let's dig into that because I think taking that to its logical conclusion, and when I say that, I mean the scenario where a, a five-year-old kid who somehow has access to Twitter or fifth grader uh, has access to Twitter and is flagged as a potential terrorist, and then, of course, they go and investigate that, and maybe something bad happens to that, that child. Um, hopefully, it's not you know something that's damaged for life. What is the eventual outcome of that? In my mind, it's that the system gets trained. Now, maybe that's not happening perfectly, and we should probably talk to the black box nature of these systems and the fact that a lot of these law enforcement agencies definitely do not know how they work or how the data that they're inputting into the system is training it. But I guess in my mind, and I know you probably feel similarly, Lloyd, like we should not be leaning away from these technologies completely. First of all, people are going to use them. I don't know how we would effectively ban this technology completely because the internet is proliferated with photos of, fo of people. And as we're seeing, and you mentioned with TSA, the government is already using this technology for good. I mean, uh, recently I came back into the country from a trip and uh, I have global entry. I've been used to scanning my either my fingerprint or right, at least they my Right, they just passport. do the, the retina now, right? They literally just took a photo of my face. And it immediately printed out. And I was like, wow, that's actually really nice. Now, of course, is it possible that somehow, you know, they eventually combine their facial data set with a bunch of other data sets, maybe things that are private companies like Clearview AI. And when I'm trying to come back into the country, I'm misidentified as some known terrorist and I get detained. Well, then I start to think, okay, the, the use of that system, if it were well-trained, is amazing. Because, of course, people can slip through uh, scenarios undetected all the time. And so don't we want to be training the computers? I mean, it almost seems silly that someone like Bernie Sanders says, we need to completely ban all facial recognition technology. Well, I mean, our brains are facial recognition technology in a lot of ways. So what what is the effective difference? I realize that there's potential bad interpretation of data, but... Isn't there a value in, in the theoretical future of uh, a world where 
if you do commit a crime, you know that the likelihood that you're going to get caught is incredibly high because there are amazing systems that are constantly mining data about you that you don't actually have the ability to say no to. Um, and thus, if you do anything and you're caught on camera, even for one frame, you're likely going to be found and you're going to be arrested. I mean, is, isn't that a potentially good scenario? So I think that's a, a fantastic point, And I have sort of a two-pronged answer. So, so one is... Uh, is the thing I think some people need to be careful about, uh, and I don't know if this is the a Bernie Sanders concern, especially since he's not exactly an anti-big government person, but um, one thing that I would look at is I'd look at China, where they do use facial recognition for virtually everything and try to make you feel like you are in a bit of a surveillance state and therefore any crimes will be quickly you know, assessed and punished. The problem is that when certain power-wielding authorities have such abilities, what China has done is, and, and you can look this up, you can see it, it's incredible. If you jaywalk, if you walk across a street at a, at when, when, it, when you are not supposed to according to traffic signs, there will be facial recognition that in real time targets you and puts up your face and your like national ID number on a giant billboard so that everyone in a quarter-mile radius uh, can see who you are. And some people might say, all right, you know, jaywalking is a kind of thing where I know all the time I need to, I'm in a rush to get to X, Y, and Z places. I feel that I should be able to, you know, do this minor type of infraction uh, without, you know, being, you know, like having a scarlet, like a digital scarlet letter sort of, sort of pinned on me. And they went one step further. I think uh, there was this crazy article in, in the Times from like a week ago about how someone, some people in Beijing uh, or, or who were wearing pajamas in public uh, were being cited for uncivilized behavior and they used <laughs> facial recognition. And Jeff, if you remember, and if any of you know my former undergraduate uh, classmates, remember, I was big on wearing pajamas, uh, you know, uh, to class <laughs> yes, you were. Uh, on campus. Everyone uh, so, sort of knew me for that somewhat embarrassingly so. And you can just imagine, you know, we see how times change and sociopolitical climates change and that governments are not always the most progressive forward thinking and that even if they are, you know, the wheels of progress grind slowly, it's, it's tough to get changes. You could say that what you're saying only holds, if it holds for a fully benevolent, you know, authority wielding regime and that we are, our fears or some people's fears are not that the technology will go awry if used benevolently, but that it will be used in ways that are not, you know, pro-liberty and freedom or something like that. But mm -hmm. I don't even think, so I think, I think that's actually a very legitimate claim and I think that is very scary, but I think for some people that just is so abstract and Americans look at the Chinese and, and say our government will never be like that, you know, we will never have sort of this authoritarian surveillance state, we will never allow it. Uh, and whether that's true or not, enough people believe it and there's enough resistance that it makes uh, convincing people that change is needed uh, based on this premise, very difficult. What I would say is I'll go back to um, last April. April 2019 was when uh, news came out, shocking news to a lot of people, or at least as it was presented, that Amazon employees were listening to Alexa device conversations. And this is voice recognition, not facial recognition, but it's the same sort of uh, concept because like you said, Jeff, and you have an engineering background, you said, don't these systems need to be trained? 
Don't they need to have data on which they were trained originally, be deployed, and then get both positive and negative feedback, understand where their false negatives and false positives were, and then incorporate those into sort of updating uh, you know, their algorithm and continuing to minimize that cost function going forward? Now, I, was, uh, I, I gave a, a, a lecture on ethics of AI uh, just a few days after that, and, and someone, it was mostly a group of, of you know, engineering PhDs, and someone asked this question, uh, they, they, but they asked it in a different way. They said they were surprised that there was such an outcry regarding Amazon employees listening to Alexa conversations because to them, it was so obvious that of course there were going to be humans that needed to listen to some of the conversations. How else would the voice recognition get better and continue to improve? And my answer was, yes, of course you are right. And to us in the machine learning community, anytime we use you know, an audio or facial recognition type service, we assume that there has to be some human component that is grading and labeling some of the data that we are contributing. The problem is that an overwhelming majority of people are not in the machine learning community, don't know how these technologies work, and therefore do not assume these things. So my answer to you is maybe you are right. Maybe there is some level of wrong that needs to happen for a more right future. Uh, I'm partially reminded by in some of the things you say by you know arguments over you know should should would you rather you know one innocent man go to jail or or a thousand guilty people go free. Uh, that's mm-hmm. you know classic sort of you know uh, retru- uh, retributive justice kind of uh, question. Uh, but my sense is that what is needed irrefutably and objectively in the short term is more transparency. Agreed. Uh, it should not be the case that people are speaking to Alexa if they don't know that their conversations might be recorded. As long as everyone has the full amount of information, I think uh, it, it, it's, it's better now. I don't want to go down a slippery slope and maybe this is a conversation for another day. It seems that people are trading their privacy for conveniences that if they realized the actual trade-off, they were engaging in, or if they do retrospectively, they might not be so happy with. And that's more of like a human bias, you know, behavioral psychology sort of question. But in principle, to me, if everyone has the amount of information, the maximum amount of information and knows what products they're using and who might be listening and how their data might be used, again, you know, saving some like crazy, unreasonable sort of esoteric situations, uh, to me, that seems like something that at least gets us to a point where there's somewhat of an even playing field and people can make semi-informed decisions because right now I think people are really just operating in the dark and they don't even realize that they're operating in the dark. Yeah. No, I think that's a great, that's a great point. And it's what has been kind of fundamentally bothering me about the politicization of all of these topics. Specifically, this topic of facial recognition, though, is I feel like there's, um, you know, Bernie Sanders released his criminal justice reform plan. That was back in August. And and this is when he really said, you know, we should ban facial recognition technology for policing. And I'm thinking, do you know the reason why you're saying that? Or are you saying that because the base that you pander to is going to read that and say, yeah, I want 100% privacy, even though I'm going to share every single photo I've ever taken of myself through social media. 
Like there's got to be some balance there. People have to think more, in my opinion, about what they're saying. And and the the political nature of this is 100% relevant, right? I mean, as you mentioned, Lloyd, the bias training, how this can affect minorities, we need to think about that. But to me, I mean, from from my chair, this is not a black ball. This is not a Nick Bostrom species ending technology. And so if it's not species ending, um, that means we're okay. So we're, we're not, we're likely not going to perish immediately. So this is probably a gray ball where if it falls into the wrong hands, a la the Chinese, which by the way, it's already happened. <laughs> we can't really do anything about that. So the fact that it has happened, um, we know that there's potential pros and cons. And I think it's just better for people to become educated rather than politicians saying we should just eliminate the discussion of this being legal. Because of course, even if it's illegal, it's still going to be used, whether that's by external governments or likely by our government uh, internally. And so I I guess it's just a little frustrating to me to see um, kind of a lack of detailed discussion and more of the immediate uh, fear and paralysis that can come from that fear uh, from people saying things like, oh, you know, imagine how terrible a situation could be where AI is used against you because your face is on Twitter and they are now doing, they, I don't know who that is, are doing bad things to you. Um, it, it just feels a little too feels a little too loose. Yeah. So so the the what I'd say is, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I I do think that you're right that that pretty much any blanket policy, uh, especially one about a new technology or something, is is unlikely to not have collateral damage of some sort. Uh, you know that there's just no way at, because of of just you know when you paint a a, a stroke with such a broad brush kind of thing. Uh, what I'll say, though, is this. There, there are two kind of, I think, very easy to understand uh, concerning examples of ways that facial recognition could go wrong. However, my point in saying them is not to support the unilateral banning of facial recognition. It's to do, at least in part, what you're saying. I think we might have some slight disagreements, but I do agree that education is important and that thinking that banning facial recognition means no bad actors are ever going to be using it uh, is quite silly. And obviously, you look at industries like the gambling industry, the cannabis industry, where people are saying, you know what, uh, maybe actually regulating this and bringing it out into the open and making sure we're all adhering to best practices uh, is actually the best thing. So one example I gave someone recently who is a perennial person who always says, I'm not hiding anything, I have nothing to worry about, is I said to them, look, you, you, you probably have not just one, not two, hundreds of pictures of you on Facebook from college, maybe from high school, where we can see your birthday because your birthday is on Facebook. We can see the date that those pictures are posted. We can see that there's alcohol in your hands, and we can see that you weren't 21. And obviously, no one really cares about underage drinking, especially 10, 15 years later. But it still remains the fact that there is evidence, ample evidence of you committing a crime on Facebook, and you know it's there, and you're not going to do anything to take it down. And almost anyone that is, you know, born after, I mean, born uh, before, like, in or after, like, 1985, basically, is, is going to agree with that, because if you grew up in the 90s, or especially 2000s, or, or 2010s, you're going to have put a lot of pictures of you drinking and such underage on Facebook. It, it just is what people uh, have done. And I said, imagine a future where world population skyrockets and the acceptance rate at Harvard is 0.0001%. 
and they decide as a you know institution we need to you know maximize our retention rate and our graduation rate and we need to maximize our average graduating salary because uh, these are all the things we need to do to stay number one uh, and we've realized that one of the greatest predictors in dropout and delinquency rates in students is students whose parents were people who drank underage and broke the law during college because if your parents were people who would have such wanton disregard for the law, uh, either by nature, nurture, or both, you are more likely than otherwise to do so. And how would be a really quick way to verify that? Will you run a, a quick web crawl? You know, in, in 20 or 30 years, you could imagine crawling every picture on the internet like almost instantaneously with some crazy quantum supercomputer and automatically taking all of the applicants whose parents had posted pictures of them drinking underage and rejecting them out of hand from Harvard and the other Ivy League schools because <laughs> there are so many other such candidates that you just might as well get rid of the red flags. And, you know, I think that's actually like a fairly non-trivial, not totally silly, absurd example. And there's a ton of permutations of that that you could see exist. And the point is that could exist even in a world where Bernie Sanders does say, we need to ban facial recognition. Uh, it, it's going to require education and understanding and vigilance in terms of privacy and data rights. And by the way, that's why I think some of the more important stuff I'm hearing some candidates first start to talk about is that, you know, data rights and data privacy should be considered like a fundamental human right. And right. that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much on board with. And, and just the other thing that, you know, I wanted to mention is facial recognition using static images to, you know, associate a certain face with an identity is one thing. But as is always the case with technology, applications quickly grow more complex. And one of the things we saw arrive on the scene quickly after simple facial recognition is what is being called emotional recognition, where mm. someone looks at your face and it's been trained on a whole host of images and they know either whether you're happy or sad or what percentage happy or sad you are through all the little you know, features that indicate as such. And this is another cool factor. You could imagine if you're an actor and you're trying to send out headshots or you're trying to optimize your dating profile, it'd right. be great to have an engine that you know, you pose for the camera and you kind of tweak your smile. And as you tweak it, the engine tells you uh, whether you look happy or sad or, or excited or, or bored or something like that. And there's a video that anyone can look up. We can try to put it in the show notes called Photo Feeler uh, D3 or V3 or something like that from Google from a couple years ago. Uh, I don't know if it was from Google. But anyway, it was trained on a bunch of uh, profile pictures, I think, from a dating service. And you can see this guy who like takes off his hat and puts on his glasses and smiles and sticks oh, his yeah, tongue out. And, right. And, and it ranks, it ranks, uh, it gives him a score at different times on the, on the, sorry, it was on the fields of, uh, intelligence, attractiveness, and trustworthiness, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you can see that, you know, for example, a hat makes someone seem like more trustworthy, but less intelligent and all these little things. And what worries me about that is, you know, first of all, I think there's something weirdly and, and kind of meta, but in a disturbing way, you know, how do you know that an indicator of trustworthiness is itself trustworthy? That's kind of an interesting <laughs> question. Right. But yeah. also, you know, we've heard of companies using emotion recognition and similar things for screening 
job candidates where a company gets thousands of applications every day. They have you record a five-minute video of yourself answering certain questions. They run in sort of emotional recognition software on you. And if you don't pass, you know, for X, Y, and Z thresholds, you're automatically rejected. And to go back to the same issue we started with, bias in training data leading to the arrest or something else of, of an innocent suspect, um, what is going to happen to someone who has a big birthmark on their face or, or some you know, atypical facial feature or genetic disorder or who had surgery or, or, or something like that? There are so many you know, companies where the people deploying these systems don't know how they work and don't realize that there could be groups of people that are being heavily disadvantaged. Uh, you know, by, by systems like this. And so I've also seen calls for the banning of emotion recognition for, for various purposes. And there's a podcast uh, called Should This Exist, where they talk about things and whether or not they should exist. Mm-hmm. And they did a whole episode on emotion recognition uh, because it really goes a step beyond facial recognition. And you can see a crazy situation where imagine to combine this with what we were talking about at the beginning with law enforcement, imagine you are on trial for a crime you you did not commit and you got there because people of your demographic were not included in the training data. So first of all, you're not even the person they were looking for and you're on trial. And then they use a, a, an emotion recognition camera to look at your face. And when you say, no, I didn't do that, they say, oh, he has an 80% you know, raise in his stress levels indicating he is likely lying, so we're going to consider him guilty. Uh, that is totally something that, that could, could happen. Uh, and again, it's not, like you said, it's not that we should or even could ban these things completely. It's educating the people who are building them educating the people who are using them, educating people who are interpreting their output uh, so that we don't have these crazy sort of runaway issues where, to me, the biggest fear is not that we have killer robots and not that an AI system takes over the world's power grid, but it's that we cede authority to some AI system, some narrow AI system even, far in excess of its competence and capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's... That is the fear, and that's a great point. I, there's there's a few things there that that I think are worth kind of discussing. Um, you know, one of them I was kind of writing down as you were talking is what what is the thing that we should be really paying attention to here? Uh, is it what the system does? Meaning bias elimination, making sure that uh, an agency like the NIST, uh, which is, is supposed to be you know, making sure these standards of technology are, are good, making sure that the bias is really low in all these applications, um, maybe making sure that this application is almost a public service. It's, it's provided the same way utilities are provided, and thus there's some scrutiny about the way that it's, uh, the way that it's actually um, built and tested. Or is it the use? It's obviously a little bit of a combination, but I mean, a lot of the things that you're bringing up are about what what I would consider to be improper usage. To your point, you know, saying, "Hey, we're going to give control." But just to to put a fine point on this, I actually think the way that the police, as far as what I've read about Clearview, the way the police is using this is actually great because you can, a judge will not issue a warrant for arrest based on that data. All it allows you to do is narrow or at least create a set of potential suspects. 
And then you, of course, need to do the true policing work. Now, that's, I think, what you're kind of getting to, Lloyd, is what is the natural progression, you know, once they realize, oh, man, like every single time this system identifies the person, they end up being the person that we're looking for. Well, let's just skip the step of having to do all the other police work and let's just start having judges issue warrants for people's arrest based on this. And then, of course, you get into, well, is the training set biased and now someone's on the stand. And by the way, I've watched enough crime podcasts and uh, or listened to enough crime podcasts and watched enough crime shows and documentaries to know that it is not uncommon that people, especially in high stress scenarios, act visibly weird. They don't act in a way that you think they should. Their facial expressions aren't what you imagine. And a lot of that is because, and this gets back to the fact that our brains are kind of neural networks for facial recognition and emotion recognition. We've trained a lot of our brains on things that aren't real, like movies and TV shows. Um, there was this great, uh, maybe it was an Invisibilia episode or, or something like that that was talking about friends and how, um, you know, if you use this emotion recognition type stuff, which is can be manually done, by the way, um, there are people who are um, actual like scientists that, that will look at people's faces and, and kind of categorize them in several different ways that the actors right, I think there's friends, like, aren't there like, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think there is like a map you can look at. Yes. Of yes, like the 40, 40, the 47 muscles around someone's mouth or exactly. something. And you can and like, the combination right, yeah. of those things we generally say, you know, and if you watch Friends, you can watch it without sound and you know how they're feeling. Well, that that isn't accurate for most of people in the world. A lot of times your face might be reading an emotion that isn't real. The flip side where I could see, and just to play devil's advocate, where I could see this emotional facial recognition being valuable um, is... Let's imagine it's Inauguration Day, and there's a bunch of people streaming into the mall in D.C., and um, there are cameras that are reading people's facial expressions, and they're flagging outsized expressions that don't line up with what they believe to be um, the expression that people should be showing. Now, is that a breach of your privacy? I don't know. I mean, you're in a public space. Like, I would be okay with someone getting pulled aside, I'm not saying arrested, this is where I think the, the use of the system and what they do needs to be refined, but I would be okay with them pulling somebody aside and saying, hey, we just wanna ask you a few questions. Maybe they don't even explain why, but it's because the algorithm marked their face as showing outsized amounts of anger. And we just wanna make sure that people are safe. I mean, I would be okay with that, even if the, the accuracy rating of that was low, as long as it's not literally handcuffing people. I realize that's a slippery slope, though. Yeah, so I think I think you're 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 going to be most susceptible to exactly that. People can point to all the times in history where uh, you give the government or the police an inch and they take a mile, and, and right. I think that is, is perhaps one of one of the main things. And, and I, I, and I think that's though, that's what gets to the question. I mean, and this this is kind of what I wanted to get to is what is privacy? Who controls it? You know, are these technologies ones that we want only the government to have? Because let's be honest, Lloyd, if they ban this on a private basis, the government will still do this, right? Like, it's not like they're going to say, oh, man, all that TSA technology that we're utilizing and all these things in federally regulated areas like airports, we're just going to throw it away. They're going to keep utilizing it and maybe to their own detriment because the data set isn't as big. And, and that gets me to, you know, maybe pushing the government aside for a second because I think that is a wormhole. But is it possible, this was a thought I had, that as a citizen, you can think of this technology as being a benefit to you in that, one, I don't think we've created the right legislation and laws around what is your privacy? Do you own all the photos of you in the internet? Now imagine though, if we said you did, you could use these types of systems to eliminate your photos. 
right? You could find them all through these algorithms and then say, yes, no, I want those all to be deleted. I, I do not allow myself to be um, out there in the world. So, you know, maybe there's a there's kind of a, a nice uh, flip side kind of silver lining to this. Um, I, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so what I would say is a couple things. So, so first of all, from something you said a few minutes ago, it is absolutely true that you're right. We as humans also do facial recognition. And just like computers, we can be fed adversarial input. They're called illusions. And right, like there's all sorts of reasons that the, that, the, that the human brain is infallible. And there do seem to be some weird double standards applied to machines in terms of how accurate they have to be. Uh, and, and so I, I don't think that that should be discounted. I think that right now uh, in the United States, uh, for, for just example, a citizen who looks at the socio-political climate, what's going on in government, what's going on in the news, what's going on in the tech world, the public sector, the private sector, etc., I think they would have to think, and I, I would say that the odds are that right now, if nothing else changes, if you just waved a magic wand and upgraded the facial recognition capabilities of all the different stakeholders developing them and nothing else changed, that on average, that would probably impact people a lot more negatively than positively. Sure, there are certain things that are, first of all, hard to weigh. Like, for example, if the military uses facial recognition to kill a terrorist that was going to bomb the United States, uh, how is that, you know, how is that benefit amortized across the U.S. population? Uh, I don't really have an answer to that question. But on average, uh, right now, I think if you just consider the number of bad actors there are, how corrupt uh, at least some levels of the government seem, the fact that constitutional rights are, are, you know, potentially in jeopardy, the fact that above all else, like you said, privacy laws have not really been established yet, that even the ones that have been once breached, you know, if you're the little guy, look at the Equifax data breach and all these giant data breaches and how little remedy uh, there is. So I would say right now, um, you know, a magic wand that accelerates facial recognition technology would have, on average, a larger net negative effect on the average consumer, although they probably don't realize it and would gladly allow that magic wand to be waved if it meant, for example, that, you know, they never had to use keys to get into their house or car again because it would start automatically. People will cede, you know, a ton of privacy for those minor uh, sort of, you know, conveniences. Um, but, you know, I think just in general, uh, what's what's important to think about at a high level is, is is this, you know, who do we trust with these technologies and what is the reality involved in making something illegal? Um, you know, making a policy just for the sake of it being part of your presidential platform or your, you know, your, your campaign is, is probably not you know, the best way to go. Uh, you need to be practical. And, and, and if it's the case that a black market for facial recognition uh, is somehow worse than, you know, a regulated market, I think that's an important uh, consideration. And I, I would say to your point, uh, you use the example of, uh, of, uh, of on the mall. Um, you know, I don't know how I would feel about being you know, uh, <laughs> pulled to the side. And I don't really know also how I'm sure you wouldn't be happy about it. Lord. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> I, I also wouldn't trust that things would go smoothly. And I wonder what the detriment is to the average person's sort of baseline psyche. If you are starting to think that you're being watched all the time. 
And I think the last thing to get to, and perhaps this will segue into our next, uh, you know, our next or a future episode. Um, I, I do a lot of work in the gaming industry, casinos, sports books, and the like. And a huge discussion has been over the past few years. First of all, do people have a reasonable expectation of privacy in a casino? And we've all pretty much decided no. Uh, no one has a reasonable expectation of privacy in a casino. But what people have not agreed on is is what that means. So we've all sort of agreed that you don't have the right to go into a casino without anyone knowing you're there. That the casino can use you know, the baseline level of identification mechanisms to know who you are and sort of where you live and maybe how much you've won and lost on their property in the past if you want. But what's not at all clear is whether you know they can use facial recognition at the ATM to track you to see how much money you're taking out and which table you were at before you went to the ATM without kind of explicitly disclaiming that up front uh, because that is not necessarily something that the average person would assume is happening. And I think just in general, first of all, figuring out what is a reasonable expectation of privacy in various arenas and forums is not at all straightforward. Different people have such varying levels of technological knowledge. Most people probably don't realize how small a camera can be that can identify you from a distance, and therefore they would have no idea how to even opine. Uh, and then from there, kind of establishing baselines for, for privacy rights. I would agree with you that you know I am a lot more against and not okay with a lot of the technologies that you seem to be at least willing to give a chance. And I'm not saying there's no upsides, but what I think clearly needs to be the case is day one, day zero, day negative one, actually, we, we need to, yesterday, have really defined what privacy can people expect. Like you said, you know, is there going to be an ownership of information collected about you and on you, uh, you know, on the internet and sort of all these things? Uh, we need to kind of accelerate uh, our, you know, and, and by our, I mean, like, not just the tech world, our entire society, accelerate our pursuit of more formalized definitions, protections, uh, and the like, uh, you know, around privacy uh, data, uh, especially biometric data and other forms that once released uh, cannot be reclaimed and cannot be altered. Uh, I think fingerprints are, are a great example. Once your fingerprints get out there, you know, good luck with that and good luck with that in a society where you use your fingerprint to start your car, pay your credit card bill, uh, you know, and get into your hotel room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely something, definitely a topic that I think more people should engage uh, on and really think critically about. Uh, kind of to the point that we've been discussing here, it's it's not black and white. I would encourage anyone listening to actually spend some time, not even just reading, but just, just thinking about what privacy means to you, right? What types of, what types of information you're okay with people knowing? Um, sure, your fingerprints being out there might be theoretically bad, but at the same time, maybe that helps you get acquitted of something that you're wrongly accused of because facial recognition technology biased against you, right? So like, there's a lot of interesting interplays here. I mean, the, the, the Privacy concept crosses over tons of lines. I mean, GDPR, which is Europe's new privacy standard for um, basically consumer information that has to do with financial transactions mainly, but also is, you know, any type of personally identifiable information um, doesn't actually contain anything about facial recognition or biometric data, which is really interesting. Um, and so there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of room that I think we we have to go uh, on this topic, but 
this was a, a great, lively discussion, Lloyd. Uh, I really appreciate your perspective. And um, look, I think the answers aren't completely out there. They're not black and white, but uh, I'm sure we'll continue to uh, meander through this topic of privacy and talk about things related to facial recognition and emotion recognition over the next several episodes. Great. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.